Kia I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail. $1,300 for a seven-day trip. 96 bucks for a three-kilometre trip in central Auckland. He said, I'll take you for $50, and it's like a 10-minute ride. Lo and behold, he's had $192.50 debited from his account. Rogue taxi drivers ripping off their passengers. The Small Passenger Service Association, formerly known as the Taxi Federation, says authorities are letting independent cabbies just flout the rules. Independent taxis, their cabs operating without companies, without meters, and seemingly without oversight. What problems are they causing? Why does the law allow it? And can passengers seek any redress if their ride goes awry? Evie Ashton is a newsreader at RNZ, and she recently had an encounter with an independent taxi driver in Tamaki Makoto. It was pretty unexpected. We were down near the waterfront at the Dave Chappelle concert. Our next guest is a uh, terrific comedian and a talented actor. Here he is, Dave Chappelle. Dave! And we came out, and the only taxis in sight we thought were legit taxis, and we started asking, oh, we need to go back up to Ponsonby, because we left our car up there, Ubered down, hadn't taken actually our phones with us because you have to put them in secure pockets to get into the event. So we thought we won't take our phone, we won't Uber back, we will take a taxi. And nobody would give us a lift. They were all saying, no, too short, no, too short. And then we just got into one taxi and we said, Ponsonby, please. And he said, no. And then he, then he changed his mind and said, I'll take you for $50. And it's like a 10-minute ride. We said, what's your license number? And then he put his hand over his photo that was on his dash and told us to get out of his taxi. (laughs) We said, we really need to get to Ponsonby. Will you take us? And he just flatly refused. And then we said, surely this can't be legal. And he just kept saying, get out. And he said, get another taxi. Somebody else will take you. And we said, we've asked several and nobody will. And so we said, well, we're just going to sit here until you take us. And how long did you sit there for? Uh, An uncomfortable five minutes. And and then other taxis are beeping because he's in the way. And so we get out. And then we notice that none of the taxis have any actual companies or numbers written on them. They've all just got taxi on their roofs and they're blank. So was it just like that taxi sign? Like, yes. describe to me the sign. It said, I'm pretty sure it said taxi and it was lit up and it was on the roof of the taxi. We got the license plate, so the reg, rego number of the car. And um, my husband made a complaint actually to the taxi body and they came back and said, well, tell us what company he works for. And he said, I think you've missed the point. That's the problem. He doesn't work for anyone. So how did you actually get back to Ponsonby in the end? We walked from the bottom of town up through to Sky City, where we knew that there'd be probably co-op taxis up there. You know, I'm in heels and, you know, it's... (laughs) Up not, the hell. <laughs> not the best walking footwear. And uh, so I just took my shoes off and off we walked. And, um, yeah, and by the time we got into a co-op taxi, the guy just said to us, oh, yeah, no, no, you've just been struck by what's happening now. What did he say, what's happening now? He said, I took a, a guy in my cab who's a tourist, and the day before he'd been in a cab and they'd taken him from the wharf, from the port in Auckland, 
to the centre of town, which is not even a kilometre, and he'd been charged $50. And the, the co-op taxi driver was trying to explain to him that he was just taken on a roundabout way and, in fact, he was less than a kilometre from where he needed to be. And he said that's just what's happening now all the time. How much did you pay from the trip from Sky City back to Ponsonby? $14. Newsroom's Matthew Scott has been looking into these independent taxi drivers. There have been reports of people coming out of concerts and sporting events and things like that and um, basically being charged quite uh, ridiculous fees to go quite short distances. I think the most egregious example I heard in my reporting was 96 bucks for a three-kilometre trip in central Auckland. It, it would be cheaper to um, to fly to get an airfare on a cents per kilometre basis. Um, I've heard reports of people, you know, entering cabs and then um, the driver covering their ID card. Down in Queenstown, there were some reports of drivers actually taking people's phones as collateral when they couldn't pay at the end of the uh, voyage. There's also been some cases of drivers not wanting to take people because their distance is too uh, short, which... You're, as a driver, you're supposed to um, take people. That's, that's not supposed to be a, a reasonable grounds for not taking a fare. So just tell me the basics. Who are these people? Road cabbies. Basically, these are independent taxi operators. So independent as in they are not necessarily part of some sort of larger affiliated group. They probably own their own vehicles and therefore... They mainly answer to themselves, kind of like if you think about how an Uber driver operates, but say you turned off the app and just sort of started taking fares off the street, that's an independent taxi operator. What would they look like compared to other taxis? Well, that's the tricky part. They could look much like a regular taxi or they might look like, you know, the sort of classic Prius that rolls up when you call for an Uber. But there's also been cases of independent taxi operators passing them sells off as being part of other uh, reputable companies, whether that's with, you know, signage on the side of the vehicle or just verbally sort of telling people that you're, you know, I'm part of this larger group. Because also at the same time, you know, you can look pretty official for not too much money nowadays. If you jump on AliExpress, get on the internet, you can find taxi roof lights for not too much money. So having all the sort of official trimmings of a taxi doesn't necessarily mean that you're part of some larger group. You can still just be an independent operator. So these drivers target these kind of big events. Where in the country is this happening and at what kind of events? Yeah, so it seems that these independent operators are sort of capitalising on anywhere where transport's failing for the moment. So we've seen quite a lot of that following concerts. It seems really anywhere where there is a crowd that has a need to get somewhere else so if you think about like any kind of nightlife spot to potential i've heard uh yeah quite a few stories from queenstown you know there's a certain amount of nightlife in the queenstown cbd and people need to get perhaps out to uh you know lake hayes estate or shot over country or there's also a lot of tourists so you pick up a tourist they don't necessarily know how much it costs to get across town you could potentially tell them anything um when the opportunity arises to uh, charge these high fares, it, se- it kind of makes financial but not ethical sense that um, people would be quick to get on it. So say you're an Uber driver and then you, you know that there's, uh, say, the Dave Chappelle concert just got out or um, Harry Styles. Good evening, people of Auckland! Or whatever it is. 
you know you can make more money if you turn off your Uber, switch to being an independent cab, show up and offer people $100 for three kilometres when they get out of the concert. Well, how do the people know what they're being charged? Because with an Uber, you have an app, don't you? Mm. And with a normal taxi, you have a metre. So yeah. how do these people that get in these independent taxi cabs have any idea what they're going to be charged? Well, the idea is if, they, if a taxi is not operating with a metre, then you are supposed to pre-negotiate the fare before you go. So in most cases, the driver will say, look, this is how much. And you have the option to, you know, to refuse. But I've also heard stories where people get in the car and then they say, oh, that's really expensive. Well, I don't want to pay that. And then the driver has said, uh, you know, get out of my car. So basically, it's all a matter of speaking to the driver first. It's kind of a little moment of haggling, which doesn't take place very often in New Zealand on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, but what makes these people think they can charge so much? Yeah, well, I guess in a lot of these cases, the the um, supply of Uber, you know, sometimes you turn on the Uber app, if you, especially if you're at a very crowded place, it's possible that you just can't get a car and uh, you look around, you maybe you look at the AT app and you, you see the trains back to the city from Mount Smart are uh, uh, not running. Harry Styles is here, but getting here came hand in hand with warnings of a longer wait still. Ongoing upgrades mean some trains aren't working. Could be the same with the buses. We couldn't believe what greeted us. It was pandemonium. There was a line waiting for that same bus service. Hundreds of people in the line. You look around, you see some cabs, and um, it kind of suddenly feels like that's your only option. You go up and you say, look, you know, I need to get home. It's the end of a long night. People have essentially had uh, something to drink. And uh, I think all these factors kind of make people easier to kind of prey upon, really. For people who are passengers, if they want to complain to one of these independent taxis, what can they do compared to, say, mm. other companies? Yeah, well, say you get in a, um, in a sort of traditional cab and you have some kind of issue, there'll be a company that you can call and you can say, look, I've got this issue. And whether they help you out or not is another story, but you have that kind of recommend. With Uber, you, you have the same thing. You can complain to Uber and again uh, this can be even more difficult because that Uber app can be a, a little bit hard to get to find the right menu and all of that but with these independent operators if you want to complain say that they if they're an operator who just works for themselves as many of these people would be what the kind of official advice is is that you get in touch with them and sort it out with them Obviously, if you've had some kind of breakdown of communications over fare prices or, or even something worse, more serious, say you have some kind, I don't know, like an assault allegation or something like that, uh, it doesn't make sense that you are calling the driver and dealing with it. You know, there's no kind of middleman here or overseeing uh, authority here that can help out in these kind of situations. And so when people have complained to Waka Kotahi, they have directed consumers uh, to the Commerce Commission the Commerce Commission, they well, they don't really have the powers to investigate or to hold these operators to account. So, yeah, I think there is a bit of a dead end there. Many of these problems stem from a law change back in 2017. The government's changing the laws to make it easier for ride-sharing companies such as Uber to operate by removing what it calls unnecessary compliance. So basically it was a pretty sweeping deregulation of small passenger services, which, you know, this includes taxis, Ubers, that kind of thing. And these changes were sort of explained by Waka Kotahi and government as being the way to level the playing field 
it seems like it was a, a an attempt to um, kind of smoothen the transition of Uber coming into the market. What we've got is just new technolo- technologies coming on board. It's about just making sure that um, as things change, consumers can get the most benefit possible out of it. It was an amendment to the Land Transport Act. And um, basically it stripped away a lot of the regulations that operators had to be under before, which included like you had to be part of an approved taxi organisation, which was essentially like a larger body that could give you more specific regulations. But then also metres were no longer mandatory, signage requirements changed, drivers were given the ability to pre-negotiate fares. There was a removal of compulsory driver panic alarms and in-vehicle cameras which also, you know, introduces some issues of safety, not just for passengers, but also for the drivers, you know, who may have relied on these things in the past if they were driving for some large company in order to to be safe. And then also, before 2017, there there were much higher requirements to get a passenger endorsement, which is basically your license to be allowed to go drive a taxi. Before that, you had to have a certificate of knowledge for a bunch of different areas that you had to know kind of taxi law. You had to know what some of the legal issues around this were. You had to have a knowledge of the area. You know, it makes me think of the uh, London cabbies uh, training for the knowledge. You need to get from the London Eye to Buckingham Palace. Taxi! Buckingham Palace, please. We would leave on our right Belvedere Road, left Chichely Street. Whoa, whoa, right wait. You know the whole route already. Well, we have to. All London black cab drivers have to have completed the knowledge. We need to know all the streets and roads in London to provide that service. In New Zealand, you no longer need to have an area knowledge certificate, meaning that you are more likely to just be looking at the Google Maps, which the uh, you know the passenger associations said could uh, potentially also be a safety concern. So they also took away, um, there was a requirement for an English language proficiency test, also for a full license test within the five years before your application for that endorsement. So basically, it's become a lot easier to get endorsed to drive. It used to be more of like a career move. Now there's more likely to be people moonlighting to do it, as we often see with Uber. Have you ever had this situation happen to you yourself? Definitely overseas, I've had it happen to me, like, for example, in uh, Vietnam, coming from the airport into the city. And um, it's something that in a lot of countries, when you read, you know, you look at the, I don't know, the Lonely Planet or the Trip Advisor or something, there'll be advice about, like, don't get into an unmetered taxi, don't get into an unmarked cab. This is common advice in a lot of countries where, um, you know, it can potentially be dangerous or just very expensive to um, get into one. I haven't had this happen to me in New Zealand. The Passenger Association said that they'd been saying to the Queenstown um, Council down there, you know, you don't want that little box in your part of the Lonely Planet saying that people need to be really careful about getting into cabs. The Small Passenger Service Association, formerly the Taxi Federation, wants better regulation of independent taxis. The association represents taxi companies, shuttles, private hire and rideshare vehicles. Warren Quirk is its executive director. We don't mind competition, absolutely fine with that. However, what we're finding is that we're getting uh, labelled with some of the behaviours that uh, these independent operators are are putting out there at the moment. Yeah, like what kind of labels? Well, overcharging, um, ripping people off, poor service, uh, poor standards. And generally when this sort of thing happens, the the customer affected will, 
rang up the local taxi company and complained to them, thinking it was one of their members. Um, there's an awful lot of time that's uh, spent trying to track down whether or not it was one of the, uh, the um, members' cars or not. Uh, most of the time, just about every time, it's not. For the customer affected, uh, they just look at the industry and see it as just uh, taxi because it's destroying the reputation of, of a lot of our members. The stories are quite horrendous that come out. Um, a, a lot of the time, um, the people don't realise how much they've been charged until they check their bank accounts the next day. There's a very specific rule now in place following the 217 uh, regulatory changes, and the fare must be negotiated prior to the trip taking place. Now, a lot of the time that fare isn't negotiated prior to the trip taking place, so the person at the other end gets quite a shock when the driver starts demanding um, X amount of dollars. So how do they actually pay normally? Do people pay by cash with these independent taxi drivers? Do they pay by FPOS? Do they like look at the FPOS screen and go, oh, wow? It's generally all electronic, so it's through FPOS, and the majority of the time it's um, PayWave. Obviously, at night, sitting in the backseat of a vehicle, trying to look at a screen, people are generally had enough, just want to get, get home, and they won't take a lot of notice, which is very unfortunate. And quite often, if there is a price that's negotiated, the driver actually adds in a lot more. Um, that, that is becoming a lot more common now. They might have a price of $50 for a trip, which is probably far too much in the first place, but then they realise the next day they've been charged $190. That's not uncommon for me to to have that reported to me on on a Monday morning. Part of the problem, Warren says, is passengers don't know who to turn to for help if things go wrong. Well, Waka Shikati are the regulators of the industry, so um, in our view that they should be handling these types of consumer protection cases. They refuse to, to handle these. They, they put them towards the Commerce Commission. The Commerce Commission don't handle them or investigate them. They've got no ability to enforce anything there. The police often see it as a civil matter, so they won't, won't get involved. I've asked Waka Hitahi a number of times, where can a consumer go and get these matters sorted out? And I, I just don't get an answer from, from Waka Hitahi on this. So what do you want to do about this? I mean, this is obviously a big problem. What can you do? Well, we would like the regulator, Wakatahi, to start addressing these issues, um, whether that's making recommendations for legislative change. It certainly needs to be addressed. I mean, it's just, it's just not right. You've got to think about the, you know, the whole country's reputation, not just the, the, the local taxi companies either. So it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed by the regulator. And that regulator being Wakatahi. So did the 2017, did, did, did that work for you at all? Has that been a, a good law change? No, very, very short-sighted. How can people, consumers, passengers, protect themselves? What's your advice to them if they get in a spot of trouble with, a, say, an independent taxi driver? Yeah, well, probably the best thing is not to, not to use them in the first place, to be honest. Um, if you do have to use one, make sure you have a negotiated fare. That's reasonable. That's set on uh, a fair basis uh, of distance and time. And uh, certainly just check the FPOS terminal prior to using it to make sure the correct amount has been lodged in there. So how did you feel about the whole experience? Ripped off and really annoyed, but I was able to walk where I needed to go and I felt safe. I wasn't on my own. 
I just wondered how people would be experiencing it if they were vulnerable in some way and had literally there were no other taxis available. It was just hordes of these brand-free and company-free cars lining up to take you somewhere. In response to the Small Passenger Service Association's concerns, Waka Kutahi directed the details questions to the Ministry of Transport. The Ministry says it's working with Waka Kotahi on a review of the licensing system, and that's due to begin at the end of this year. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Jeremy Ansell engineered this podcast, and our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Evie Ashton, Matthew Scott, and Warren Quirk. Ma Tewa. Te